Brittany said, my name is Carrie Miller. I've uh, been on staff here for a while, one of the senior staff. There's a group of us. Great to be a part of this team. I'm married. Uh, there'll be a picture of my lovely family there, my wife, Chris, and my son, Daniel, my daughter, Ashley. I love being here with you guys tonight. I'm excited for that. But more than that, I love being husband and dad to this clan. So, but I am glad that I get to be here tonight. And as the video you just saw, it kind of kind of alludes to, we're starting off a new talk series tonight called, Who Do You Say That I Am? It's a big question. Uh, it was interesting. That was a great video, by the way, wasn't it? Isaac and Alex, way to go, guys. And I thought that was great to kind of see what are some of the opinions that are on our campus? What do people think about Jesus? Um, you know, some didn't know, right? They didn't know what to, how to answer that question. Some thought he was the Savior. Others thought, you know, in he was special, he's the son of God, but anybody can be the son of God. We can all tap into that. So we're going to kind of look into that a little bit. You know, Jesus actually asked his contemporaries that, that question. Who do you say that I am? And he saw it as a fundamental question. And how we answer that question and how we respond to that answer actually will affect every area of our lives. So I want to invite you all to keep coming back. And let's look over the next six weeks of like, who does Jesus reveal himself to be? But not only do I want you to come back, I want to encourage you to invite folks to come with you. Because you all know some of these folks right around campus, and it doesn't matter if someone is like, I don't know. I've never really looked into it. Or if they they're, think Jesus is the Savior, and that's where they're at. Or if they just think, I don't know if you can believe all that Bible stuff. It doesn't matter where they're at. This is a place to come and discover and look into who does Jesus reveal himself to be. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing tonight. We're actually going to be looking at the Bible to, to discover who Jesus revealed himself to be. The Bible has been said to be the most, well, let me quote this rather than try to remember what it said. The Bible, specifically the New Testament, provides the primary historical source on information about Jesus. It's the best record available. Um, just side note, whoever's in charge of the lights, can we turn the house lights up just a little bit? I'd really like to be able to see a little bit better and people could take notes. So if we could do that, that would be great. Um, so anyway, the, the Bible, uh, I said it's the, the most historically best piece of information we have to find out who Jesus is. I'm guessing, though, some of you may not believe that. Some of you have heard others question and challenge the Bible, Right? You know, you've probably heard or even thought yourself that the Bible can't be trusted. You know, it, it's inaccurate. Others have said that it was written hundreds of years after the fact. And so it's kind of made up and it's missed to be whatever we want it to be. And others have even said even if it was accurate when it was originally written, what we have today is so far removed and has been translated so many times that there's no way it could act, be an actual representation of what God would want it to be, or could it be the Word of God. And So it's been challenged in many ways, and in, there's lots of things you've maybe heard or even thought, but the reality is, though many have attacked the Bible, their claims simply are not true. And, you know, and there's lots of research. If you want to look into it, you can find lots of folks have researched, can we count on this? Is this an accurate representation of what was communicated, when it was written, does it tell an accurate story of history? And uh, several folks have documented that. Um, one of those, 
there goes my papers, um, is evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. Now, if you came up and looked at this, you'd see it's really fine print in outline form. It's a lot of facts about uh, the evidence that you could consider. Thanks, George. Um, so you could check that out if you wanted to study that. Josh also wrote another book called More Than a Carpenter. And when I think about this book, the reason I mention it is it's really Josh's answer to that question, who do you say that I am? Because when, he, when Josh started looking into who Jesus was, he was an agnostic, he had a lot of questions, he was frustrated with his friends and what they had to say. So he kind of did his own research and he came to his own conclusions. So you may want to check that out. One of the chapters in there talks about some of his evidence regarding the Bible. I don't have time to go into all the details, but I also thought if we're going to say we're going to look at the Bible and we're going to base what we're going to talk about here on the Bible, we should have some confidence that, that, that it's worth looking at, right? So let's just look at a couple things uh, real quick. First, we have evidence that the Bible is, that we have now is actually what was originally recorded. Uh, there were several archaeological archaeological discoveries of manuscripts in the 20th century and after which William Albright who is the world's foremost biblical archaeologist writes we can already say emphatically that there is no longer any solid basis for dating any book of the New Testament after 80 AD and our earliest manuscripts are within 50 years of that time frame by contrast most documents of antiquity including say Caesar's Gallic Wars, date their closest existing manuscripts to a thousand years after the originals were written. Further, in terms of the number of manuscripts, there are 20,000 copies of the New Testament manuscripts available. In contrast, many ancient historical documents on which we rely, again including the Gallic Wars, have 10 or less manuscripts available. Quite a disparity, right? The second most the document with the second most manuscript authority would be the Iliad, which has 643. So that's the first point. Second point, the Bible is an accurate record of what actually happened. And there's a lot that could be said here. For the sake of time, I think I want to share the thing that's most compelling to me, and that's the observation of several scholars that the eyewitnesses of these well-known events and teachings were actually alive when the New Testament books were compiled including bitter enemies to the development of the Christian religion. The and these, new tes these testimonies of the New Testament were not disregarded, right? They have endured even till today. And then third, other historical material confirms the content of the Bible. Archaeologist Joseph Free writes, archaeology has confirmed countless passages which have been rejected by critics as unhistorical. Again, there's lots of data to support all these things that you can find. But let me just wrap up this small section in our introduction uh, with a quote from Dr. Pinnock. Uh, finally, he says, There exists no document in, ancient, in the ancient world witnessed by so excellent a set of textual and historical testimonies and offering so superb an array of historical data on which an intelligent decision can be made. An honest person cannot dismiss a source of this kind. So, that said, let's take a look at the Bible and see who Jesus really is. But before we dive in, I want you to think about something. 
Have you ever seen anything that just kind of blew your mind, that was unbelievable? Have you ever watched the video that your mouth just kind of dropped and then all you wanted to do was share it with all your friends? You know, maybe it's the guy who was sky, you know, went skydiving starting in space, right? Or the guy who made the basket from the top of the stadium or the guy who mountain biked and was jumping up the rocks. And there's all kinds of things that happen. Last week, I actually got to go play foot golf with some friends of mine. Many of you don't know what that is. It's basically golf with a big hole and a soccer ball. And let's just say I'm not very athletic and I don't know how to kick. I was a wrestler. Um, but I'm on this hole, and the, the ball's here, and the hole's out there, and there's no way I'm going to make that, right? So I just decide to go for it. I shank it off the side of my foot. It goes flying over this way, hits the tree, bounces back, starts rolling towards the hole. Towards the hole. Oh, it's getting close. It falls in the hole. Off the tree, you know, I'm like, woo! Right? You know, I could ne- no one could ever do it again if they tried. It was unbelievable. You know, we all celebrated, and then we went on to the next hole. And that's what we do, right? We celebrate the things that are cool, we share them, we talk about them, and then we move on. Well, tonight, we're going to look at something that the folks of Jesus' day saw that was so amazing that they couldn't stop talking about it. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. This is really on in Jesus' ministry. So if you have a Bible or an app, you can open that up there. Uh, Prior to this in Mark, there's a few things that have happened. Jesus has shown up on the scene. He was baptized. And at his baptism, there was this voice from heaven that said, You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, just a little thing there. And then right after that, he, he goes driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. And he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. And he comes back from that. And uh, he starts going around this area called Galilee. He starts preaching and it says, it says he preached the good news. And, um, yeah, where was that? I was going to quote that. Yeah, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Then he starts gathering his disciples and who's going to invite them to follow and learn from him. And then we come to this spot in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. So let's read that together. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one of the, who had authority, not, and not as one of the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere, throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Wow. Quite an opening act, right? You know, so amazing 
was this reality that they just saw, that his fame spread throughout the region of Galilee. And remember, right, this is pre-Twitter, pre-TV, pre-newspaper. None of these things existed. That's like saying whatever he did was so famous that the entire Midwest knew about it the next day because of word of mouth. That's how blown away these guys were about what they just saw. So what's the big deal? Well, let me pray, and then we'll take a look. Father God, we invite you into this time. Would you please come with your spirit? Would you speak through me? Would you, would you say what you want to say? I pray for each of us here that we would hear your voice. We would see who Jesus is. We would recognize him. And respond to him as you would, you would have us to. We trust you together in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, let's take a look. So the first thing we notice, right, they, they go to this town called Capernaum. And there's a map, I think, that will probably pop up here in a second. So yeah, you see the map, the big blue spot, that's a, that's a lake, right? It's called the Sea of Galilee. And on the north end is Capernaum. Capernaum is... is this financial capital almost of the region. There's a lot of business. There's a lot of fishing. A lot of people travel through there. So that, that's where Jesus decides to go, have, show up at the synagogue, was where all of this action was happening. So on Saturday, which they called the Sabbath, Jesus goes to the synagogue. And it's called the Sabbath. The Sabbath means to rest. In the Jewish culture, what they would do on Saturday is they would, they would not work. And they'd spend a good part of their day going to this place called the synagogue to worship, to hear readings of the scriptures, and to hear some scribes talk about what those meant. So typically what would happen, there'd be a scheduled reading, and then somebody, one of the scribes, would get up and share what he had learned about that passage. A lot of times they would quote other scribes, like so-and-so scribe said such-and-such such and such about this, and then Jiminy Bear Judah said such-and-such such about this, and, and they would just kind of quote each other as they talked about what they had to say. But occasionally, someone would show up who was a guest, and he was he's a kind of a recognized teacher or a scribe from another town. And if that ever happened, whoever was, in, was up would say, hey, why don't you speak for us today? Why don't you explain the text? And that's what happened when Jesus showed up. They invited Jesus to share his perspective on what was, what was spoke about that day. But notice in verse 22 that Jesus didn't necessarily do what all the other scribes did, right? It says they were astonished at his teaching. And nothing, they were just blown away with how he, he taught with authority. He didn't teach like the guy who was quoting everybody else, where he didn't think, I think what God means here is, there wasn't any doubting or suggesting, he spoke with authority like he knew exactly what the text was about. He knew exactly what that should mean for their lives, and he spoke clearly so that they would know. And they were astonished. So as Jesus is in the midst of this astonishing teaching, a man cries out. Something like that. Right? 
you, you don't expect that, right? All of a sudden, somebody just starts, stands up and starts yelling in the middle of this teaching time. I, 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 I'm sure I wasn't doing as good as Jesus, but um, anyway, thank you. But notice in our text, it says that the voice they heard was not actually the voice of the man, but it was the voice of an unclean spirit. Right? There's a spiritual being different from the man actually controlling his actions and speaking through his voice. That's pretty freaky. Right? And I think it's really freaky to us because we live in a culture that says the spiritual isn't real. Right? The only thing that's real is that which I can touch and taste and feel and see. And smell, that's what's real. But yet the Bible teaches us something different. And this is one of many passages where we see the Bible teaching us that the spiritual is real. And Jesus, recognizing the reality, rebukes the demon, right? What does he say? Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean it convulses the man, shrieks, and leaves him. The existence of the demon was not in question, right? Jesus speaks authoritatively to the demon, and the demon obeys, and all the people acknowledge what they just saw. Again, there's more to us than just what we can see and measure. But not only that, not only did that happen, not only do we have that testimony about what's real, but let's look at what Jesus not what Jesus, sorry, but what the demon, what the unclean spirit had to say. Here we go. So notice first in orange, the personal pronoun, us. So we have the demon speaking not just on behalf of himself, but he's speaking on behalf of all the demons that are acting in the world, and they know that Jesus has shown up, and he's a threat to them. And so this demon, on behalf of all of them, he said, have you come to destroy us? He's, he knows he's a threat, and the demon's attacking Jesus to try to make a case. Some commentators on this passage actually say the reason the demon names Jesus' name is he's trying to exercise authority over Jesus. He's trying to control Jesus. But one of the things we do have, right, the world, it's hard to always tell what's going on, but the, the spiritual beings actually have an insight that we don't have. And what does the spiritual being say about Jesus? First of all, he says, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I know who you are. What does he say who he is? The Holy One of God. The Spirit names who Jesus is and calls him out. And he reveals to us that Jesus isn't just another teacher or scribe, right? He's the Holy One of God. And in saying that, he reveals more. The Holy One of God. There's not just spirits. It's not just a material and a spiritual world, but there's a God. A God who created, a God who's in charge. And Jesus is someone special. He's the Holy One of this God. And if we, look at, if we were looking at the whole part of Mark, I briefly mentioned something that happened before him. It was Jesus' baptism. And that's where we, we see not only the spirits testifying to who Jesus is, but God himself. And God says to Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus is both the Son of God and the Holy One of God. The demons obey him, 
He has authority over them. He has, he has the authority of God himself. And he teaches with authority because he created us and he spoke the scriptures into being. By his spirit, he spoke to the author. He actually wrote the scriptures that he taught with. So he's able to teach with authority. Jesus of Nazareth is the Holy One of God. And who Jesus is matters. Jesus is asking all of us, who do you say that I am? And this is really the question that all the crowds were dealing with in our story, in our account, right? They saw what happened. They were amazed. They don't know what to think about it. And they have questions. What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands the spirits and they obey him. What's going on? And they just start talking about it like crazy, right? What Jesus has done goes viral. And I think some of us tonight are like those in the crowd that day. We're just hearing the story, but if we had seen it, our jaw would drop like, no way. And we'd talk about it, and we'd go on with life, and we'd want to see it again. And if you, as we look at Mark, if you can read through that yourself, you'll see that's kind of what happened. People just started flocking to Jesus. The next chapter we see he's in a house, and there's so many people, not everybody can get there. There's a big crowd outside. And later, Jesus' popularity is so much, people are walking miles and miles on foot to see this guy that he can't even go into towns anymore. He has to stay in the countryside to talk with people because there's too many people trying to get a glimpse of this guy. And you know what? Jesus welcomes that. He welcomes them. He actually continues his ministry for three years so they can see who he is. And I want to invite you on that same journey. If you're at a place where you're hearing about Jesus and it's just unclear to you, it just prompts more questions, keep coming to the crew the next few weeks. Learn from the scriptures who he is. Get a Bible and read it. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We would love to put a Bible in your hand. Read the Bible and, and pray. Ask God. Even if you don't believe he exists, right? What could it hurt? Ask God. Like, show me who Jesus is. There's a guy named Peter that about a year and a half after our story, Jesus asked him this question. He finally gets it. He says, you're the Christ, the Messiah. Like, he essentially says, you're the Holy One of God. And, and Jesus tells him, man didn't reveal that to you, Peter. Only the God in heaven can show you that. And so I want to invite you to ask God, show me who you are. Because he'll answer that prayer. He'll reveal himself. But there's another reality here going on here that I think many of us can relate to as well. Like those in the synagogue, we see, right, we see here that Jesus is a great teacher. We see that the demons obey what he says right away at, at once. Yet we don't submit our own lives to Jesus' authority. We may talk about how great he is and be amazed, but when it comes right down to it, we're going to live for ourselves and go our own way. Maybe some of you are like me. You've trusted in Jesus in the past. You have a relationship with him, but this still comes up. In the last week, you know, a week ago today, Thursday night, I'm getting the kids to bed. I say goodnight to my wife, and uh, I hear the Holy Spirit just kind of nudging me. Hey, Carrie, time for bed. I'm like, okay. And I lay on the couch, and I turn on Netflix, and I watch a show, and then I watch another episode, and then I watch another episode. And let's just say I fell asleep on the couch. 
Uh, and the next morning I get up and I, I make my habit to try to spend some time with God. And so I'm reading the Bible. I'm talking to him. And I'm like, God, I'm convicted. I didn't do what you asked me to do. Forgive me. I don't want that to be true of my life. And he did. And we had a good day that day. And Friday night I get home and the kids go to bed. I feel the nudge from the Holy Spirit. And I do the same thing again. Turn on Netflix, watch episode after episode after episode. Not that there's anything wrong with Netflix, right? But the Holy Spirit nudged me to do something else. And I chose to do what I want. And that rebellion against God is sin. I sinned against God. So whenever we're doing what we want instead of what God wants, we're rebelling against him. In your life, it might show up in different ways. Right? Maybe you're unwilling to give up a relationship you know that God wants you to end. Perhaps you've been dishonest. Maybe you've uh, cheated on an assignment to get a better grade already. Maybe you've been acting in ways that deny or misrepresent God because you're trying to make friends or you're wanting to impress someone. Maybe you've been engaging in a sexual activity outside of marriage or you're pursuing your personal ambitions rather than God's leading in your heart. And like me, you know Jesus, you've trusted in him, but yet currently you're not submitting to his authority and you're living for yourself. Jesus teaches us to repent and believe the good news. To turn away from living for yourself and believe that Jesus has rescued you from your sin. Because he has. And then pursue and enjoy your relationship with God. It's been a blessing for me the last few days as I've, I've been preparing for this and God's been teaching me again these same things. But along with us, there's probably some of us tonight that are here who you've seen who Jesus is, you're convinced that he's the Holy One of God, but you've never placed your faith in Jesus because you want to be in control. Regardless of the truth of who Jesus is, you're unwilling to submit to his authority. You know, I'm reminded of a guy that I chatted with a while back. I was just sitting out in front of Stu East. Uh, we're having a conversation. We were talking about who God is, who he reveals himself to be in the scriptures, and that he, God wants a relationship with us. Jesus has provided for that. And he was, he was tracking with me. He was, he, I was asking him questions. He was telling me things I, I, I knew he understood. And so I asked him, do you want to ask Jesus into your life? Do you want to have a relationship with God? And he said no. So I, I asked him why. And he said, because I don't want to give up the way I'm living. I don't want to give up the parties. I don't want to give up the women I'm in relationships with. I don't want to give up the fun that I'm, I think I'm having. He wanted to be in control of his own life. I think there's, there's some of us here tonight that are in that same place. But the reality is Jesus doesn't exercise his authority to contain us or to condemn us or, or to use his authority against us. No, Jesus uses his authority for us. Jesus exercises his authority on our behalf. Notice, he cast out the demon, but why? To free the man. He exercised his authority to free the man from the captivity of demonic control. And he wants to deliver us from the captivity of our self-interest. You see, we get all excited about the extraordinary, right? It was cool to see that soccer ball bounce off the tree and go into the hole. It's cool to see that guy jump out of space. You know, we get excited, you know, when we're at the game and you see somebody make that three-quarter shot that ties the game as a buzzer beater. 
We love that stuff. We love how it makes us feel. But shortly thereafter, we're looking for the video. We're going to the next game. We're looking for the next accomplishment because it never satisfies. It leaves us empty. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life. Have it to the full. Jesus said, the good news of the kingdom of God is at hand. You can know God. You can actually enjoy his rule and authority. It is a protection and a provision for you. You no longer have to live as an orphan. You no longer have to depend upon yourself, never being able to trust anyone else. My daughter, Ashley, she's eight now, but a while back she said her first sentence, and I still remember it. Her first sentence was, I do it myself. I do it myself. And the reality is, she is still fiercely independent. You know, and many in you and many in our culture would probably highly applaud that independent nature. And maybe for you, your independence is a source of pride. You'll pay for your own school. You'll meet your own needs. You don't need anybody else, right? Trusting someone else might, means you don't have control. They might let you down, right? You probably hate group projects. But Jesus teaches that when we take this independent attitude toward God, it's a rebellion against him. See, he's created us to live in relationship with him and submit to his authority. But when we choose to live for ourselves and declare to God by our words or our actions that we're going to make it on our own, we actually make ourselves God's enemies. And this rebellion is called sin, and it separates us from God. And God would actually be just to destroy us in our rebellion. The Bible tells a story about a man named Noah in the Old Testament. And some of you have heard that story. And the whole world seems to be rebelling against God, but Noah walks with him, and God comes to Noah and says, Dude, build yourself a boat. I'm going to bring some animals. Get on board because it's going to rain. Right? And Noah obeys, builds a boat. It rains. Noah and his family survived because they trusted in God and they obeyed. They submitted to his authority. Everyone else on the planet died. And that's what we deserve. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's a physical and a spiritual separation from God that's caused by our sin. But it also says in that exact same verse, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Jesus, the Holy One of God, came to restore our broken relationship with God. And he did so by exercising his authority. Elsewhere in the scriptures, Jesus says, I have the authority to lay down my life and the authority to take it up for it again. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus went to a cross, died on the cross to pay for our sins. He laid down his life. And then he rose from the grave, demonstrating his authority to do what he said and to, and to bring us back into relationship with God. He made a way for us to enjoy our creator now and forever. And again, Jesus, right, he doesn't use his authority against us for harm. No, he uses his authority for us. 
He freed the man from the captivity of the demon. And he's offering to free us from the captivity of selfishness and separation. He wants to restore us to a loving intimacy with the God who created us. So let's submit to his teaching. And what is that? Mark 1.15. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. My friends, submit to Jesus' teaching by admitting you've been living for yourself that you've been ignoring God, and turn from that course of action. That's what it means to repent. And then believe the good news. Believe that Jesus came and he exercised his authority on your behalf. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. Invite Jesus to give you an intimate relationship with God. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for the truth of who Jesus is. I thank you for a chance to discover together those realities. I thank you that Jesus is the Holy One of God, that he exercises the authority on our behalf, that he died and he rose from the grave to give us relationship with you. Lord God, if there's anyone here tonight who has not yet said, that's what I want. Forgive me for my sin and my rebellion. Grant me relationship because of Jesus. Lord, would you help them to do that now? In in their own heart, would they just say, God, I want you. And God, would you save them from their sin and give them a relationship? God, show them who you are. And Lord, would you bless us? Would you help all of us to not just see who Jesus is and get excited and talk about it? But Lord God, would you help us to submit our lives to Jesus and live the best life possible in intimacy with you? In the name of Jesus, amen. Please stand and join us in worship.